Hello, and welcome to episode five of Our Bumpy Road. I'm your host, Meg. I'm super excited for this episode. I think it's going to be a really great one. The topic is um, mental health and working in the helping profession. So um, our guest is Anya, and she's um, a social worker, so she's got lots of great insight to share. Um, But before we get to that, I just wanted to remind everyone that Anya and I are just speaking from our own experiences. Neither of us are experts in this field, but um, we can just speak from our own mental health challenges and hopefully learn from that. Um, but also a reminder that you, if you do need um, real mental health support resources, do not get a, be afraid to reach out to a mental health professional. There's lots of great resources online. Um, contact your doctor, but just make sure that you're being an advocate for yourself and you're getting the help you need. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's start episode five. Okay, so first, I like to start off all the episodes with like kind of an intro to you and like who you are as a person, kind of like besides Mm -hmm. your mental health struggles, just so people kind of get a taste of you. Yeah, so I'm 24. I'm a recent grad. I grew up on the Gulf Islands, predominantly Saturna and Salt Spring. Um, And then I also partially, before all of the Gulf Island, I lived in um, Vancouver for a while and so that kind of shaped a bit of that I I was homeschooled until like grade nine so oh, I didn't know that yeah so my sister it was me and my sister and my dad was like our home parent he was our like stay-at-home dad and uh my dad is quite a uh a travel bohemian I don't even know how to explain him like very I don't know so we spent the majority of our childhood like taking the train down to North Carolina is where my grandparents are from cool and so we used to like train down there and we'd go for like six to ten weeks at a time I spend a lot of time gardening I love my plants I love my garden I love being outside um no that's awesome I love that I I'm horrible with plants like I kill everything so I'm very envious yeah I um we recently moved from a I'm, I'm not in it right now. I'm in our neighbor's fifth wheel, but we renovated a fifth wheel. Whoa. Into our so we decided that we did not want to, I mean, as you probably know, the rental market is insane. Even in Campbell River, it's like insane. And Byron and I, my partner, were we were just like starting out kind of like I was just finishing school. I'm like, I don't want to jump into putting like a third or sorry, three fourths of my wage into my housing. So anyway, we bought a fifth wheel and renovated it. And long story short, all my plants have kind of died. <laughs> no, like, there's like no light. Like it's all that special, like tinted UV blocking windows. Oh, I wouldn't have even thought of that. Because <laughs> yeah. our place before was like this beautiful barn. Um, that was like literally a greenhouse it was so hot and it was south facing and so all my plants I have three huge dracaenas and they were all just like flourishing and my monstera and I had a pothos that went all the way around one side of the house and then they all just slowly started dying did you save <laughs> any of them or are they all gone so luckily before I moved I sold a bunch and I actually made like four hundred dollars it was awesome Oh, and shit. then, yeah, I didn't know there was such a market for plants on Marketplace. And then uh, some of them have kind of, I just kind of, I'm down to the ones that I don't care as much about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's still fun. That's So um, 
part of like the topic for today is talking about like working in like the helping profession. And I understand that you're in social work. And so I'm really interested. I think that's like a super cool profession. And I'm kind of wondering like, what does a day in the life of a social worker look like? Yeah, so I am a social worker actually at Campbell River Hospital. So I originally, like I've always wanted to do medical social work and I always did my practicums. Like I had two uh, nearly four month placements that I did with the health authority here. And so here at Campbell River, we're generalists instead of being, um, most of the time in medical social work, you have like a specialty. So in the bigger hospitals, down in, in say in Calgary or in Victoria, you know, each floor is like the pediatric unit or the geriatric unit or, you know, spread out. So then each social worker is a specialist in those kind of social work areas. So here we're generalists, which is pretty exhausting. So we go on an on referral basis. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be a specialist in every area. <laughs> so we like, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a little synopsis of yesterday. So you have a couple people that you're kind of case managing. So from a legal standpoint, which I think you'll probably get a bit, yeah. <laughs> so we, we do a lot of the um, Adult Guardianship Act. So what we do is we'll have people coming in and needing that advocacy. A lot of the time they have absolutely no family. They've been taken advantage of. And then it's our job um, wants to do the training for it. I'm not yet a designated responder who is somebody who can actually deem them incapable of making those decisions and then also kind of be at the forefront of doing an investigation for um, abuse and neglect. So very legal, like that's a very legal aspect of it. And then helping set up um, like rep seven and rep nine agreements for medical decision-making, facilitating getting notaries in to come and do wills and power of attorney and rep agreements and all that stuff. And so, you know, and that really learning all the language and how to move around um, capability and capacity and learning like, okay, so this person has been deemed incapable of financial decisions, but does that mean that they can't decide that they want to go to long-term care or that they, sh you know, so there's all those parts of kind of being an advocate in that because a lot of the time they'll be like, this person's deemed incapable and now they will sit in hospital and wait for long-term care. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. They're deemed incapable of seeing being able to kind of like self-advocate or being able to um, kind of have the insight <laughs> if somebody is kind of taking advantage of them, that doesn't mean that if you say to them, do you want to wear your blue shirt or your red shirt, that they can't decide. Like they still mm -hmm. have day-to-day -day ability to make those decisions and you should still, you know, and it's kind of in our guidelines that even if you are saying, yeah, you have to go to long-term care, they need to know about it. Like you still need to be going in and talking to them about it. So that's that part. But then we'll also get um, child protection concerns. Um, we're also, we, we work in the emergency room. So if anyone um, goes into cardiac arrest and there's a code blue in the hospital, you have to go down and support the family. So there's like some crisis work. And then also there's the maternity unit. So sometimes we'll have people who have stillbirths or really difficult births or um, child protection concerns right there at, you know, 
at the time of birth. And so all of those pieces. So you have to kind of like, <laughs> you have to know the legal part and then the family dynamics part and then the emotional support. So there's lots and lots of different areas of it. So your team, you're also kind of an advocate in the team because you have to be like, hold on so that people don't just fall through the cracks. It's a very awkward place to be, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. And you have to like advocate like with those people that are like, well, I know what's best or whatever. So that's really interesting. Wow. Well, I was just going to say, like, my my favorite, I love geriatrics. Like, geriatrics is my favorite. I, for some reason, have become, like, the geriatric specialist. Not actually, but <laughs> I have four, four patients right now that are all, like, AGA, like, Adult Guardianship Act, like, self-neglect, like, absolutely no family members, all hermits, all just, like, needing so much support. And those are my guys. Like, I... <laughs> I just love them. <laughs> oh, that's but amazing. Like, oh, there's a newborn baby or this. I'm like, ugh, no. Get me like a crusty old man <laughs> that's like a hermit. Like, that's my guy. <laughs> that's so amazing because like that area needs help. And I feel like that's probably not the most like glamorous area of social work. So like, it's really no, amazing no. that you want to be part of that and are doing yeah. that. I do really, really like that part. It's It's very fulfilling. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. And so um, have you always wanted to go into social work or like how did you kind of decide that that was something you wanted to pursue? Well, so my mom, my mom was a uh, at children's hospital in Vancouver. So child life is kind of similar to social work and usually they, they're kind of like sister programs and sister kind of um, fields in when it comes to kids and so what with my mom being a child life specialist she worked in the hospital at the playroom and so she focused on kind of supporting the patient and the family a lot of the time through play therapy and helping kind of just facilitate their experience there in the hospital so she worked on neurology so she had a lot of long-term patients that she knew, like, from when they were two months old to when they were, like, 15. Wow. Um, and the other thing is also being there to distract during um, medical procedures. And, wow. like, if you have to have, like, a spinal tap, like, there would be my mom, like, up there playing with the kid. And, like, ha so obviously, as a child myself, getting blood work no problem. Like I loved yeah. it. My mom, um, she had all of her toys and I'd just be happy. And so I never, I never had a fear of healthcare. I always really loved it. And I do really love healthcare. And so when I, I started to kind of think about child life, um, but I don't really like kids. <laughs> you like the old guys. <laughs> I do. So I was like, you know, I don't know about this. And I had a couple really long chats with my mom. And whereas social work is, um, uh, I eventually want to do my master's. And once I have my master's, I can uh, run a private counseling practice. Wow. I can teach in a school of social work if I want. I can teach in like social services, diploma programs at community colleges. There's like so many different avenues that you can like you can do social work in schools you can do social work with long-term care health care there's just like yeah there's a million a million different things you can do with it which is why 
exactly. So that's kind of what brought me to social work. Um, it kind of like fell into my lap, but then I also kind of <laughs> like shot for it. So I don't know. Yeah. Too. <laughs> no, actually, that's like a really nice balance of kind of knowing, like seeing your mom and like understanding what she did and then being like, mm, that doesn't quite fit for me. Let's try something else. Yeah. Yeah. I find like the family dynamics of working with kids a bit too much. Like I just ate. I like to deal with like the patient and the patient themselves and not the patient and the two parents and the grandparents and the aunt and uncle. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. And there's just so many dynamics. Um, the ministry social workers in BC have like an average burnout rate of like two to five years. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> of, like, oh my God. And then just like going to something else. Cause it's just like, it's so draining and actually. And so what's your path been with like the social work career so far I only so I only just graduated like in December and then when I first started out when I was waiting to get registered um I applied for a position in Port McNeil which is close to my in-law so I applied for a position in Port McNeil which was mental health and substance use as a rehabilitation worker so kind of like a support worker and I got the job it was like a part-time job. So I was driving up and working for a week and then coming back down. How far is that? Uh, it's a two hour drive. Wow. And there's no service between here and McNeil. So, and it's like very much like back road Canada driving, like Oh my God. But that was amazing because I got some really hands-on experience with like a, just learning the system of like the health, mental health resources and what's out there. And I was working. So as a support worker, I was working under two clinicians. One of them was a master's of counseling with a background of social work. And the other one was a, um, a psych nurse. And so then I was kind of working under them and would take referrals from them And a lot of the time it was those smaller pieces of just like this person needs help doing like a person's with disability application or they need their income assistance application done. So just doing a lot of those. And then also kind of went more into doing a little bit of just like drop-in work where I'd have people just call me. And a lot of the times it would be like, I'm going to call you to chat about my my paperwork for the government and then it's gonna get into my mental health struggles that are happening at the same time because obviously financial insecurity really does tie into mental health insecurity right like it's Mm -hmm. it's yeah especially if you're living at the poverty line or or in poverty like that's going to impact your mental health especially if you're struggling with substance use as well and you're you're if you need to afford medications, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the times it was like getting people on fair pharmacare or sorting out that to make sure that they're able to access the resources that they need in their time of crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I then applied as casual and started out at Campbell River Hospital. Um, and I ended up just falling into a full-time permanent gig there. Like That's very pretty awesome. So it's kind of bizarre to me like the week that I got my letter from UVic being like oh by the way like you have your bachelor's and like here's your diploma was the same week I got offered a full-time job (laughs) oh my god you're making moves (laughs) well I was like okay 
uh, I'm not going to be able to, like, and my mom was so upset that I didn't want to go to, like, my ceremony, and I didn't do grad photos, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm, like, literally working. <laughs> okay, well, um, let's, like, transition into our topic a bit. I'll start out, if it's okay with you, I'll give a little background on my own mental health. Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I... I come from a family that I was I would say is quite anxious. Like I definitely have a lot of family members that are also like deal with a lot of depression. Um, but I never really experienced it too much. And then probably like oh when was it? It was a year and a half into my time doing my diploma. Mm-hmm. So about four years ago. And I had like a day where I, well, no, okay, that's not true. So I had a couple weird days, like the summer before I felt a bit weird, but it went away and like, it just kind of was like a weird, like, uh, like, an, like just feeling really uncomfortable in my chest, like a weird chesty. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, um, and just kind of, I explained it as feeling like I want to like literally jump out of my skin. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> And so, but it would kind of like come and go and I didn't think anything of it and I didn't really associate it with, it was just, I don't know, my body or something. And then I had a day where I came home from school, was feeling a bit funny. And then the next morning I woke up and it was like, I woke up and it was like, there was a cloud over me. I was shaking and sweating and nauseous and everything made me anxious. Like even just the thought of like, I, I didn't, I fit, like I had no idea what was happening to my body. It was the scariest thing. And I remember like, I didn't really know it was anxiety. Like I felt anxious, but I'm like, but I'm not, but there, this isn't about anything. Like I don't have anything going on. Um, and so right off the bat, I went to like a walk-in clinic, I think like 24 hours later, because I was like, maybe it'll pass. Maybe it's just like a weird, like, I don't know what's happening. So 24 hours later, I went to a walk-in clinic. And and I'll always remember this because it was on Halloween. <laughs> and I remember just like everyone in their fucking costume. <laughs> You're like, this is not what I need right now. <laughs> and I went into this walk-in clinic and I tried to explain to this woman and I think I said this in the email, she was just kind of like, well, you're in school, like school's stressful. And I'm like, no, like, I, I remember thinking, like, I would do anything to take one pill that would just give me at least five minutes of relief. Like I was in just agony. It was bizarre. Like I had never experienced it before in my life. And just like feeling totally out of control of my body. It's like, I can just do it myself. Like, I don't need to be medicated. It's fine. Right, because I didn't even really. You were wrong. (laughs) I was wrong. I was so wrong. And so then um, I finished up my diploma. I was like, I've got you know a month left in my diploma. Whatever, I'll be done school. This is obviously about school, right? Mm -hmm. So I finished my diploma, and it was so weird. It didn't go away magically the second I finished school because guess what? That's not how your brain works. And so, (laughs) and. So I ended up like it's it did slowly start to taper away though like it it got better I went on a trip to Mexico I just got like totally relaxed I forced myself not to think about it and I did get better for the summer 
Mm -hmm. Then I started at UVic um, in September of 2019, and I did my first week of school. I went to a, like, autumn festival, (laughs) and I, like, literally, I remember I was sitting there. I think I'd, like, gotten, like, popcorn or something, and it was, like, all of a sudden, I was, like, I'm going to jump out of my skin. I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, I'm at like a festival. Like, what is happening? There's no reason. Like, I'm in the beginning of school. Like, I don't have any assignments. It wasn't anxiety. It was like this. I I really do explain it as like a cloud over me. Like, everything was tainted with this feeling. Like, I couldn't. Like, I just I couldn't enjoy anything. It was bizarre. It was so bizarre. Um, and so that started and it was basically like a 24 hour a day panic attack is how I was I would explain it it would like Mm -hmm. ebb and flow and I'd have times that were better and times that were worse um but depending on what was happening like I could get to a point where I would just like throw up or like it was it, it was just like feeling completely out of control in my body being really frustrated with myself I think that's the big thing is like being so frustrated because when you look up um oh and in all of this I was getting counseling and I was doing I was doing all the right things right like I was like getting counseling once a week I was limiting my stress to the most part of like what you can do I cut out caffeine I went for daily walks, like I walked to school every day, had daily walks, slept for at least eight hours a day, was taking every single supplement, started taking good probiotics, because I'm like, oh, like, that's where your, you know, your, your, um, your brain gut or whatever, like that got into that whole (laughs) side of it. Um, And basically, like, had six months of that where I was just like taking like GABA magnesium like HTP5 or whatever like you're (laughs) I'm sure you know like every single supplement like and I think part of it was that I was like so desperate to find relief in something like so desperate to a figure out what was causing it so that I could stop it and because nothing made me feel better. And I think that was the problem is like, I couldn't, I couldn't distract myself out of it. I couldn't meditate myself out of it. I couldn't exercise myself out of it, no matter how far ahead I got in my school projects, no matter how good grades I were get, I was getting. So I was like seeing counselor, doing all that self-care work, like, setting times in the evening for myself, et cetera, et cetera. But like still, you know, like I've said a million times, wanted to like crawl out of my skin, like would get nauseous, would just like couldn't, like couldn't fathom ever feeling normal again. It's like, it's the hardest, I mean, you know, like it's the hardest thing to explain mental health to other people. And also something, sorry to just jump in, but something that I'm really getting out of like what you're talking about is so like, when I finally talked to a mental health professional about my anxiety, I was like, oh yeah, like it's on my head. Like I just have these like thought loops that I can't stop. And she was like, oh, well, what's your body feeling? And I was like, what do you mean my body? Like, this is my head. And she was like, like, are you sweaty? Like, are you shaky? Like, and had to go through all these things with me. And I like didn't even realize that mental health like affected your whole body. 
And just to like yeah. hear you talk about like, I was just like, I, my skin, like I like felt like I kind of needed out of my skin. And I'm like, okay, I can totally relate to that. Like, that's really interesting. So yeah. And I like, I found that it was so weird because it's like, I would um, like, if I got too hot, because sometimes like if I got too hot, it would like resemble the feeling of about uh, like when I would get really anxious and it would make me have a panic attack. Yes. <laughs> or like if I ate too much and I was like really full and had that just like, I'm going to throw up feeling, I'd be like, am I having a panic attack? Like, so I just, and I would go through these bouts of not eating for like three or four days. I would eat nothing. It's about like when you're in that anxious state, you're in fight or flight. You're not in rest and digest. So your body no. like physically cannot like I'm like why do I have this gag reflex when I eat and she's like yeah. it's because you're anxious all the time and I was like oh my god because your body is literally pumping full of adrenaline and cortisol and I like that's the thing that I felt is I was like my body I feel like my body is like 95% cortisol like I was like <laughs> I cannot like I'm relaxing but I'm not relaxing like I just I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't sleep I got to a point where every single night I was taking Benadryl to sleep because I couldn't sleep. And yeah. I was I was looking forward to bedtime because it was a time where I knew that for eight hours I wouldn't be anxious because I yeah. like drug myself to sleep, which is a terrible way to live. Yeah. Right? And I think like almost similar, like opposite to you is because I like was in the process of doing all this mental health training and like, doing this in school, I was so adamant. I was like, it's not in my head. It's just my body. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, it's yeah. not my head because I'm not anxious. I don't have this stuff going on. I don't know what's making me anxious. Um, and it was like the composite where I remember like for the first two weeks that it happened, I was convinced that it was just caffeine was doing it to me. So I just cut coffee out of my life cut tea out of my life and then got on all these like reddit pages about people talking about like quitting um caffeine and like how they all the stuff and then later I started learning about um panic disorders <laughs> one of the symptoms of panic disorder is that you you start to cut things out of your life to avoid the feeling of panic so people will cut out alcohol caffeine um, if being social is what makes you have panic attacks, you'll cut out socializing. Um, this kind of ties into what you were saying when you were talking about the fight or flight, because funny enough, actually not last week, but the week before the week I first emailed you and you sent me these questions, I actually took part in a, um, a workshop, a trauma informed approach to youth suicide. Okay. So super light. Topic. Yeah. Super light topic. <laughs> With this absolutely amazing woman who is a counselor through um, the crisis hotline in Vancouver. And so she started talking about uh, trauma and trauma responses in the body. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but are you aware of the other two portions of fight or flight? No. Okay. So. Oh, wait, is it freeze? Is one of them freeze? Yeah. Okay. That's the only one I know. Okay. So there's fight, flight, freeze. And those are like the main kind of responses to trauma, whether it's physical trauma or emotional trauma. One of the newest ones that's been recently coined by a trauma-informed uh, um, uh, practitioner is called fawn. Oh, 
shit. I think I have heard of this, but keep talking about it. Yeah, it's insane. So I have never had a moment like this before in my life. So I'm sitting there, like I'm literally sitting there in this workshop and I'm like, oh my God, is my career like a trauma response? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so they're talking about how like, um, for a lot of people, it's it, if they, especially if they grew up with conflict, they have a trauma response to conflict and they will do anything, anything in their power to fix the problem, to um, kind of like butter over the situation, to just avoid it and be like a people pleaser, but also will do anything to help, right? Like we'll just, yeah. I even... You're going to laugh because I actually printed out an article about it. Can you send it to me? <laughs> yeah, because there was this part about it that was like, um, here, I'll just read you this quick thing. So this yeah, is, the main, these are the main signs that you are responding in a fawning sense. Okay. So A, you're always apologizing for everything. B, you can't say how you really feel because you're afraid of how people will react to your feelings and your emotions. You always um, are overly enthusiastic as like in order to not hurt other people's feelings. Um, everyone else's needs matter way more. Flattering others. Um, and there was like this whole thing about, yeah, you don't, you're unable to know boundaries. You're like all this stuff. And I just like had this moment of being like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like I'm having that moment right now. <laughs> I was like, okay, like if my reactions to things are to like want to fix it and avoid the conflict. And like, I think in a sense, like your, your trauma is it's being and trauma is obviously caused when you're you're vulnerable in a situation and you're not able to get yourself out you're not able to seek help so I mean trauma obviously happens a lot when you're kids so mm -hmm. you live in a conflict a high conflict environment like you're gonna have trauma about conflict sorry it's <laughs> it's gonna That's happen words. but I realized this in myself like I was thinking about like how like yeah I guess like how I am especially at work like I hate conflict when people are always like, well, if this person says something to you, like, you have to say something to them. And I'm like, why? Like, why, why, why? Like, I've never felt the need to be, like, assertive with friends if they do something. I'm just like, and also I feel like I've always been kind of, like, a firm believer. Like, if I can be over this in, like, 24 hours, like, do I really need to, like, make it a thing? No. So then I just don't. And maybe, like, maybe that's okay. But, I'm sure there's times when that apply and times yeah. where it doesn't, you know? But I definitely recognize, like, at work, like, then also for, you know, to bounce back to the other main question about, like, why do people who have their own mental health struggles? Because I, I truly believe that I think living with a chronic illness of mental mm -hmm. health is kind of a trauma. Like, you are in a situation where you cannot seek help. Like, you you... And no one gets their thing diagnosed immediately. Like, it's, like, always you've been, like, trying to work with this for a while on your own. And you're, like, you're you're living with all of this. And it's, tra like, it's traumatizing. You're out of control of your body. And you have no idea how to resolve it. And that is, like, to the T what trauma is. <laughs> so <laughs> I think then once I, like, 
came to this realization that like if because people would always say like you're really friendly like you really like me like fixing other people's problems like literally all I do at work is like this person doesn't have any money fix it like this person is you know has squatters in their home and they're taking advantage of fix it and you're like okay and you do and then people will be like you're good at that and then now I'm starting to realize like am I good at it or is it I'm good at it because it's a trauma response <laughs> yeah and it's like a coping mechanism yeah like, which is fine. I mean, might as well put that to use, but then also be aware of it, right? Like, be aware yeah. of it. <laughs> it's like a balancing act. Of like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I have just started to notice in myself. And in this workshop, it was really interesting because the woman said that um, this was how she always was. She fawned. Like, that was her thing. And she was talking about being at a family gathering. And there was a couple there that started fighting with each other and their usual family dynamic was that she would jump in and either like make a joke or um try to just resolve the issue or whatever Hmm. and she had recently kind of learned more about the whole fawning process and decided to take a step back and to not say anything and to just do her own thing and ignore them the wife came over and was like are you okay you're really quiet tonight because she had broken that that cycle of getting involved in those dynamics and not um participating in that that caused her upset and I was like oh my god that is so interesting because that literally happens to me all the fucking time like I'll just yeah. like sh- I'll shut down sometimes and I'm like why why am I just shutting down <laughs> like it's I literally I'm not being dramatic but I feel like you're my therapist right now and I'm like oh my god I'm just learning a new thing about myself I'll send you all this stuff because it's absolutely fascinating like you had just sent me the questions being like why do you think so many people face like their own struggles and and when and then you know or have their own issues and then go into the field and it's like trauma (laughs) (laughs) to a t I mean I think also like a, a part of it too then I mean I, I find that a lot of people in the helping field are like say they've experienced sexual assault so then they want to work with sexual assault victims as a way of their their own healing process right so whether yeah. it's all people go into the helping field because it is a way for them to um you know like be the person that they needed at that time right like being mm-hmm. to support them and I think that's really common with, with people that go into the helping field but then on the other side, so mm-hmm. why do you think working in the helping profession can be so like draining and challenging on people's mental health? Um, I think because you like, like I had a week this week, like especially yesterday. Yesterday I came home and I was like, I hate my job. <laughs> we all have those days. <laughs> I was like, I hate my job. I'm like, I hate this. And I think you you like you take on a lot of other people's shit and you are present with people in some of the worst times of their life you know you're with True. them when their partner's dying when their parents are dying you have to give the news to someone that their their dad is incapable of making decisions for himself that sucks like point blank that sucks and i think often we are just like okay so this person got deemed incapable and it's like hold on this was a living breathing human being that lived for 75 years and had a career and moved, you know, all these things. And because nobody, a lot of the other people on the team don't take that on, you kind of do, right? Like you learn their mm-hmm. stories and then you are able to 
to then repeat those stories and make sure that other people understand like their care goals like I'll get home from work and I literally just sit on the couch and I'm like in silence like just for like half an hour scrolling Instagram because I'm like I just need to decompress I guess that's my answer for why it's so hard but I also think that happens in like I'm sure that going into law is incredibly draining right like yeah it's a time where you're like you're you're part of somebody's shittiest time in their life my mom said to me when I went into law she was like no one comes to a lawyer unless something horrible is going on in their life like no one wants to pay a lawyer and I think going through mental health struggles makes you a very like empathetic person because you realize like there's always more to the story than there is on the surface you know well and I try to think like when I was going through all those struggles in a really bad time if someone told me they were going to come see me and they just didn't that 24 hours until I hear from them is going to be absolutely hell. hell. And so I think, yeah, being, I'm, I'm glad I'm an empathetic person. I obviously couldn't do what I do without being an empathetic person, but uh, it is draining. And I've had a lot of people be like, you're going to burn out in 10 years. And I'm like, honestly, if, Cause you know, at one point I was like getting really invested with things and I was taking on a large caseload and people were like, you're going to burn out. And I'm like, I'd rather be a really good social worker for like 10 years, burn out and then do something that's a little bit slower speed, but still is using that still that same skill set, which is pretty like you can shift it around. Like I said, like yeah. there's so many things you can do. I'd rather do that and just be a good social worker for 10 years and then maybe burn out rather than be like, yeah, I made it to 65, but I'm like super crusty and <laughs> and I'm not like advocating for my clients the way they yeah. need and stuff. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to talk about positive takeaways. Um and we're going to talk about how um being able to ask for help has changed your mental health journey. Mhm. Okay. So, basically what happened was is uh, halfway through my first practicum, I was hanging out normal day just minding my own business and once again I was sitting there like I want to crawl out of my skin and throw up and I was like this is not normal like I finally just like I hit a wall where I was like this is not normal and I called my doctor I went in and I I I had it was like pulling teeth to try and get her not to just say well have you tried deep breathing have you tried square breathing have you, <laughs> yeah, have you, are, are you, are you um, tracking what you're eating? And she gave me this whole workbook on, um, on, needless to say, I actually do not see this doctor anymore, but <laughs> she was like, well, are you, are you, are you, she gave me this whole long thing on like anxiety, mental health, like make sure that you're like getting out of bed and brushing your teeth and doing this and doing that. I'm like, no, yeah, like I'm functioning but I want to crawl out of my skin. Like I'm, I'm finishing a degree. Like I'm doing shit. Like I'm, I'm nothing. And not that it's wrong to, to have it um, be a barrier, but I was like, I'm not letting it, like I'm continuing on, but I'm not, I don't feel like myself and I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. And so 
once I just kind of put my foot down, she's like, well, I'm not really too keen on, you know, like SSRIs. And I was like, no. And I ended up actually seeing her resident one day. And I was like, no, putting my foot down here. Like I need this. And, um, started me off on Zoloft and within, um, I think it was about like two weeks. I remember like waking up one day and I was like, holy fucking shit. The cloud is gone. The cloud is gone. And I'm like, I haven't felt um, this much better in a really long time since before all this. And I couldn't believe it. I was like back to normal. And so I've been on Zoloft for about a year and a half. But last Christmas in December, I'd have kind of my ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Everyone does. Yeah. And medications never like fully, um, knock anything out. Like you're always going to still like, that's part of your brain. That's part of your, your, um, your chemistry. But funny enough, really important when it comes to mental health is in December, I got some blood work done. Cause I was like, it's really interesting. Like the way that my anxiety comes and goes and fluctuates is really like cyclical. Like it really pairs up with my cycle. It feels mm-hmm. very, very like in tune. And I track my cycle. Like I'm really, really in tune with all that. And I was like, it's really interesting that on like the 26th day, like I also want to jump out of my skin. Like, you know what I mean? Like those little things, yeah. right? So I'm like, can you run some blood work? So she ran some blood work and never got a call back, whatever, onto the next thing. And then more recently, about a month ago, I went back and I looked at my blood work. And I am just at the cusp of where they would um, call me back into the do the additional testing for um, thyroid disorder. Oh, interesting. So at this point, I was like, hmm. Okay. Because you're supposed to be um, the, the cusp for MSP. Um, yeah, you know, like MSP, like for what, what is the- MSP? Okay, sorry. So MSP, sorry. <laughs> My talking to medical. So MSP is like just the the medical service plan. So like what the provincial, okay. what they'll pay for. And so obviously, okay. in order to bring down their costs, if you're not outside of an additional bracket or outside of a bracket, they won't do additional testing. Yeah. So the bracket for TSH, which is your um, thyroid stimulating hormone, is like zero to five. Mm-hmm. And I was four point like eight five or something. So literally a couple decimals. So then my my blood work just got shelved. Nobody called me. Nobody did anything. And again, I was just like, I'm just going to advocate for myself a little bit here, which is just a little bit, just a tiny bit. Social worker hat on for myself. <laughs> like, okay. So I called up a um, Ashley and naturopath here that focuses on thyroid health. Mm-hmm. He sent me for all the blood work and was just like, and because she's a naturopath, she's private pay. So I'm like, Okay, I'll just pay. So I have to pay for all the blood work. Again, this is where, sorry, back to it, but like, this is where it's just so fucking devastating. The, like, the description that if you, if you were in the medical system, if you come in, say you have mental health issues, you come into the hospital or you go to your GP and they run these tests and they're like, they just don't, A, you don't have the advocacy skills to ask for the additional testing. You're just like, I'm anxious. I want to 
jump out of my skin. And, or you don't have the additional money to pay to get that $200 blood work, you would never fucking know. Mm -hmm. It drives me nuts. Anyway, so she said, she sent me off for my blood work and I am to a T, to a T, I have hypothyroidism. It's all connected also with your cortisol levels. Okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of things about that. Basically, it's you feel off is the main thing. Like you feel like shit when your body. So if your body isn't producing the proper amount of TSH, is what I understand, then your body kind of goes into overdrive and it's just like not regulating your hormones and your cortisol properly. And so okay. you really do feel like you're dying. Like you feel like you're- like You need like, to jump out of your skin? Yeah, you're feeling like your body is 95% cortisol for some fucking reason. It's insane. And anyway, I, I, uh, this I only found out yesterday. I finally got my blood work back yesterday and I've got my follow-up tomorrow. So it's actually really funny that I'm like- Oh my God, this is amazing. I'm glad we're doing it today. I know. So I'm like, this is bizarre, but um, you know, like I- so one of the main things, though, is that for people that have very sudden mental health stuff like that, that literally overnight starts mm -hmm. and doesn't seem to have a reason, feels really biological and just like physiological, right? It okay. is. <laughs> yeah, you're not crazy. Like, yes, I'm sure that long term stress didn't help my body, didn't help my thyroid. Do I think I have an anxiety disorder? Totally. A hundred percent. Like, I think that it was the perfect storm between all of these things that added to what happened and what's, what I'm currently dealing with, right? Like, just being yeah. stressed, partially not taking care of myself, but I was kind of taking, I was taking care of myself, so I don't know why I say that, but like... Yeah, but you felt like you weren't taking care of yourself. Like your body felt like something was wrong and obviously something was. Something was wrong. So I guess my positive takeaway here is like always trust your gut when it comes to your mental health. Like, and be an advocate. Like my positive takeaway is to just be an advocate and you you are the expert in your health and your own body. Like you really are. <laughs> yeah, and trust your gut. Trust your gut, like your doctor. I remember my the what really got me was I remember when I went in to go talk to my doctor and I wanted to go on Zoloft, and I said, you know, this is what I want. I've done my research, like I know this. And she's like, well, I don't know. I think I think you're fine. Like you're young, you're in good shape. Like I think with the right exercise regime and all this stuff, like you'll get back to your baseline, right? And I remember just sitting there being like that's great. You get to say that and then you'll move on to your next patient and you'll go home and you'll feel great. I have to live with this. Yeah, that's very true. Like I live with this. I'm going home with this. I'm waking up in the middle of the night with this. You do not get to tell me how I treat this. Like yeah, I treat how this you feel this. and like what is helping yeah. and what isn't. Exactly. And I'm really glad I did because honestly, even if Zoloft wasn't what actually was going to get to the base of the problem it it really was um a lifesaver for me in the past year and a half like it it yeah. made me be able to get through everything and it made me 
finally feel in control of my mental health again, really. This has been like so easy to do and like, thank you so much. This has been really amazing. I like, I'm so excited for this episode. I'll send you some stuff on fawning. <laughs> please, please. Do. Okay, well, thank you, Meg. Okay, well, amazing. Thank you so much for being on this. I really of appreciate course. it. And you awesome. did such a great job, so. Very therapeutic for me. <laughs> I know, this has been therapeutic for me too, so thank you. <laughs> Okay, amazing. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, I really thought that one was spectacular, but maybe I'm biased. Um, yeah, just a reminder to subscribe to Our Bumpy Road on Spotify and Apple Music so that you can stay up to date. Um, check out the Instagram page if you haven't, because I post on there every time I release a new episode. So then you know what's going on and kind of the story behind the people who are on the episodes. Um, and that is at r.bumpy.road on Instagram. Um, and then finally, if you want to be a guest, make sure that you send me an email. I'm starting to look for more guests in um, August. So the email is ourbumpyroademail at gmail.com and just write me a little blurb about what you want to talk about and I'll make sure to be getting you on here. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Oh, also, um, if you want to write a review on Our Bumpy Road, that's really helpful. Give us some stars if you're liking it. I appreciate that. Um, but most of all, just thanks along for thanks for listening along and being part of this. It really means a lot to me, and I can't believe this thing is still kicking, and I'm still having people listen to it. So, thanks so much, and um, keep on trucking down your bumpy road.